This is the story of the one. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done. Welcome you, Porch Talk. Got uh, Mr. Johnny Hadford on here with me again. Last time we spoke, we were talking about aspiring to be a comic to do stand-up and uh, since last time we hung out you did I did and so uh, just for starters man uh, how'd it feel expecting which you know anytime you pop your cherry doing anything it's probably the same thing you got the same thought process that goes through um, I, I rehearsed it so many times in my head or just visioned about how it was going to go and then uh, but man when I got up on that stage and I mean I've been on the stage performing in front of people before you know uh, playing music but this was uh, this was different. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, it was um, you know you get up there <clears throat> and you just see this just uh, 
room of dark faces. You can't really tell, see what they look like. You got the light shining down on you, and they're all focused in on you, which was good because, I mean, it was like I got up there and, you know, people were paying attention because that's that night, that's, you know, open mic. That's what people come out there for, you yeah. know. But, uh, but, yeah, dude, I got on that stage, and I was just like, oh, boy, here we go. Yeah. But, I mean, I powered through it, though. Well, <laughs> definitely, definitely gonna do it again. Absolutely. Yeah, man. It's like I was telling you is, uh, you know, the idea of uh, stand up to me mm-hmm. is vastly different than uh, getting on stage with a guitar. Yeah. Because in my mind, I have something I can hide behind. Yeah. And plus, on top of that, just what little bit I've done in, like, acting, like, as far as, like, plays, Mm -hmm. is, like, the difference between drama and comedy Mm -hmm. is you have to wait. And that can affect your rhythm. So, like, when you were rehearsing in the car or rehearsing at your apartment, Mm -hmm. uh, you wrote the jokes with the intention of being funny, but you don't know if it's going to be funny to the people. Yeah, I think it's funny. The, you know, and, you know, just like any art that you do, you uh, you create what you enjoy, mm-hmm. you know, and if other people like it, then they like it. You know, you don't want to pander on or make something just uh, saying, okay, I know people will really like this, so mm-hmm. I'm just going to focus on what's popular or whatever. So, but yeah, I rehearsed it. Um, one, I didn't even know really how much time I was going to have. The club didn't say. Uh, so I just assumed it was going to be five minutes, so that's what I prepared for. And I timed myself, and I just rehearsed over and over. You know, like you would a script. Because you're still putting on an act. Mm-hmm. You know, it is an act. But, um, but yeah, like you're saying, you have to pause. So I would write in my notes when I would write a joke, pause, or, you know, wait. Anticipate. And, you know, anticipate, hold, or, you know, wait for the, you know, the pause after the punchline or whatnot. So, <clears throat> and I do that, even though I wrote it, I still put those notes in to, you know, give myself, you know, in my head, too, if I'm going over the material. Then after I had it memorized, I, you know, you know, even though it, it's crazy. It was like, you can forget stuff that you, uh, that you wrote down, too. And I did <laughs> during, halfway during my set. Because, right, yeah. Because I forgot. Um, did you go up there with your notes? No, I didn't. That's I was, I, I can, I can, I can say that. Um, I was, uh, I was the only one that got up there that I didn't have my notes with me. I didn't have my notebook. I didn't, uh, I, I didn't, uh, I had my phone to, to where I had notes on it, but mm-hmm. where, where I really messed up, even though they, the bartender was keeping track, but, uh, I was going to set a timer on my phone, you know, and just to let me know, you know, so I don't know, but I forgot to do that and I didn't realize it until halfway through my set and I was like, oh shit, how long have I been up here? And then, <laughs> and you started then I, getting in your own head. Yeah, I started getting in my own head and then I started kind of forgetting material and then I was like, I was like, damn, well, and I pretty much, I kind of rushed through it because, um, you know, there was a couple of times where I'd pause for laughter and nothing happened and I'm like, they were like, I don't think they understood that, you know, that was the punchline Punch. or whatever. So, you know, it, it's different crowd, you know, different people and that was my first time and I was, I, really, I was pretty nervous. I was really nervous about the whole thing. I mean, just, you know, uh, the night after you do, did it, we spoke, and you were telling me that um, just the style of comedy that you did that night was um, a lot different than what anybody else had done that night, that they were all pretty much doing the same style. In a way, yeah. Um, I mean, there was a few guys that went up there, and, you know, uh, they they had some... It's like slapstick. Some of it was kind of slapstick, you know, but com- like I said, comedy is subjective, you know. Absolutely. You know, so, uh, but uh, I was I was kind of going up there, what I was doing, I was doing, pretty much doing bits that were pretty much stories. So I was talking about, you know, when I was growing up, um, you know, um, incidents that I had dealing with different kids because of my family, you know, my family's history and everything in my town, and uh, just examples and stories of stuff that had happened to me and um but there were some people that were just you know they were just kind of rambling off like not necessarily Mm one-liners but they were you know just you know have you ever thought about this this and that but there was a few guys though um that 
you know, were kind of doing the same thing that I was doing, and a lot of them killed. They did really good. There yeah. was a, there was actually one guy come. To, we didn't find out until later after the show, but there was one guy. It was his first time performing there, but um, he uh, he's been a comedian for a while. Uh, he's been doing comedy for a while, and he actually opened up for Polly Shore once. Come to find out, cool. Yeah, I thought that was pretty cool. And unless people are really immersed into stand-up comedy or the history of it, uh, you know his his parents created and started the comedy store in L.A., which is probably one of the most famous comedy clubs in the in the country. Yeah, I mean, even if you just listen to the Joe Rogan experience, that's a, that's mm-hmm. one he brings up all the time. Like he commonly yeah, yeah. Uh, goes on there. Yeah, well, not anymore now that he moved. Right, but that that was where he you know, headlined, headlined the most at, but he, you know, there were several other clubs that he'd perform at too, but that was the big one. That was, uh, his, uh, home away from home. Yeah. And it was like that for several comedians. The comedy store has a long history. I think it was Polly's parents, uh, created, I think it was like in the seventies, I think it was. Mm-hmm. And, um, and then his parents wound up getting a divorce and then his mom wound up Mitzi, she wound up taking over it and managing it for years and years and years. Cool. Well, yeah. That's a now you know kind of thing. Yeah, yeah. I cool it's, little uh, history bit. Yeah, yeah. I kind of submerged myself into it, just learning about it and whatnot. You know, and in different places too, because there's there's more than just the the comedy store. You got the the improv too, and you got a lot of places in Texas, which is I think another reason why Rogan's going out there. He claims he's going to open up his own club out there too. So. Did he? It's the Austin scenes where he went, right? Yeah, Austin. He moved to Austin. Yeah, a lot of those LA guys went there. Yeah. Uh, I wanted to step back just for a second. Uh, you said something I really liked. I wanted to explore it a little bit more. Uh, the idea of pandering. Yeah. Of Whether it's uh, music or anything. I remember a buddy of mine, he had called me. He had started, it wasn't like a legit podcast yet. It was just like uh, him and a buddy. Mm-hmm. And they would do like... Uh, they would both be mic'd up and it was just kind of a back and forth. It was really well put together video and it was starting mm-hmm. to, in the uh, town they were in, you know, they were getting uh, sponsorships from local businesses and it was, oh, wow. it was picking up real well, but I listened to a couple of them and I, I called him and I said, uh, what you're doing is not going to work. He was, what do you mean? I said, uh, you're pandering. Mm-hmm. You've made like 10 and I've watched two mm-hmm. and it already feels like you're pandering and it's turning me off. Mm. Same with music, right? If you're, a, oh yeah, if you want to be a musician, you step out to an open mic. Well, I want to play songs that people like because I want them to like me. Mm-hmm. Well, I don't think you're ever really going to express yourself, right? And you know, and that's the thing about stand up too. You can't do that. You can't. You can't. You can't go up there and do covers of jokes. Oh yeah, yeah. People do it, but they get called out on it. Uh-huh. But. Uh, but yeah, it's and and that's the unique unique thing about it too is like you have to if you're gonna do stand up you have to be you have to be original like you have to you can create your persona or the you know your act you know but uh, you have to you have to do it your own way you can't just go up there on open mics and do a bunch of jokes that you heard or know other people have done. Mm-hmm. Especially if you're in a crowd that you know that pays attention to stand up. Yeah, you know the average person's not going to know, but you get up there in the group that, like the crowd that I had, it was mostly people who was going to get up yeah. there on the stage anyway, right? Of that and their friends or just people that come out to see stand up. Most mm-hmm. of them, I'm sure, if I was to bust out a joke that somebody else did, you know, people you know would recognize it. Yeah. So you can't, you know, it's that's the you know we talked about that a while back, you know, you were talking about how um people that go up and do cover songs and everything. I get why they do it. I used to do it. Yeah. But uh and yeah. I mean I'm, I'm not I'm not throwing any shade at like cover bands. Oh no, anything. not at all. And I guess that's the thing about music is I I believe it's one of the only art forms to where you can get away with covering. Uh if I was to get up and do a spoken word and do poetry, mm mm-hmm. Mhm. I mean, what if I read Shakespeare? It's like, right. this guy's not a poet. Yeah. He just likes reading poetry. Oh, he's performing. He's <laughs> reading. From, yeah. Yeah, that's... Well, and then I guess in acting, but even then, mm-hmm. it's, it's not totally the same because when you go, 
to a play, I mean, you want to go see a play that you know about, right? Right, right. You're not just going to go see Phantom of the Opera if you don't know Phantom of the Opera, or right. at least heard of it. Right, right. And so, like, every time you get a brand new cast, mm-hmm. it's going to be different. Right. Because of the people involved. It's going to be the same words, same lines. Right. But it's going to be just a touch different. It's it's interesting, too, some plays that I've seen uh, back when I was in college. I took theater um, for a semester. And uh, part of the the curriculum we had to do, we had to go to at least one play that the... Mm-hmm. the uh, University was putting on? Yeah. And uh, they did a Shakespearean play. And don't ask me which one it was because I don't remember. But the interesting that they did about it was they put a twist to it. They put like a southern Dixie twist to it. It was it was it was it was a little weird. They kind of had the setting as in as in uh, you know uh, I don't know 1600s the South or probably you know later than that 1700s whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, and they were singing like during certain intermissions they were singing that like some groups were singing like old country songs like one one uh, performer she got up and she was singing Dolly Parton she okay. was singing Jolene like in the middle of the scene transition or something it was it was interesting but it was a Shakespearean story that they were but they were still the dialogue and everything they were still speaking in the Shakespearean word you know I'm just thinking about like different plays of mm-hmm. Shakespeare and I was like Jolene and if you're doing this southern thing that would be pretty good because I mean it was a tragedy yeah it, it was it, it was, belongs yeah it was it was it was uh, I wish I could remember the name of the play um I it, it was this was several years ago when I saw it but uh <laughs> but it was uh, but that's what stuck out the most to me that it was just I thought they were just going to do you know by the you know no pun intended, but like by the book, mm-hmm. you know, um, interpretation of it. But no, they put their own little flavor to it, I guess. Yeah. And it's, it, it was interesting. It really was. And I enjoyed it. I fairly did. Um, but yeah, yeah, definitely. You know, and same thing when covers, when bands do covers of songs, of other famous songs, they, um, you know, they, they still put their own twist to it. Yeah, you know, I mean, uh, what's another example of when Disturbed did uh, the Sound of Silence? Yeah. You know, sounds like Disturbed doing it. You know, it, it doesn't sound like they were playing the same chords and and you know their own. It wasn't like they were trying to completely cover the same way or play the same way that Simon and Garfunkel played it. They were putting their own spin to it. I mean, and think yeah. about this, Nine Inch Nails, Johnny Cash, Hurt. Like, you have oh, yeah. these totally opposite genres, almost. Right. Uh, you have what? It would be almost goth rock. Yeah. yeah. And then sung by yeah. country singer. Right. Doing and doing it like acoustic. Mm-hmm. Well, it was mostly acoustic, but then later on he had a... He has more like a piano, and he has a little bit more going into it. But it wasn't... But yeah, exactly what you're saying. It was just... Mm-hmm. It seemed like um, just a complete transition, transition, yeah, of genre, you know. Which I also like. I like it, when it's done right, just like that. For example, it's like uh, it really, you know, makes you step back a little bit because I didn't even know when I heard it. I thought Johnny Cash wrote it. Sure. You know, a lot of people did. They had no idea that that was a Nine Inch Nail song. And it was perfect, too, because, you know, it seemed like that album dropped and it was just a couple of days later and Johnny was gone. Yeah. Yeah, he uh, died, I think, six months after June did. Yeah. And he did, uh, he, he, he had, I think, I can't remember if he had those, uh, he had a few more albums come out after he died but it was just stuff that got finished in the studio and whatnot and mm-hmm. then they, you know they were just kind of stuff was coming out after he passed um but yeah that that those albums too he did a lot of covers mm-hmm. he did he did a lot of them on there too and um but yeah but like well, I remember when I first heard Hurt I was like I was like damn he wrote that and then you know come to find out later it's Trent Reznor yeah and then I heard the original and I was like whoa yeah Whoa. <laughs> Let me ask you this, man. Is uh, I mean, you said you're going to do it again, and uh, we'll talk a little bit about what our buddy Michael, uh, what he's helped you out do with oh, the yeah. music box. But uh, what are you thinking, like, the next time you get up to perform, whether it be an open mic or for doing the comedy intermissions for these uh, mm-hmm. metalcore shows, I guess would be the best example. Yeah, yeah, it's... Uh... 
they're metal shows. They're they're metal bands are in that genre. Um, yeah, I uh, I've been taking the time to because what I have to do is I have to do um, there's going to be uh, three different intermissions, mm-hmm. and usually the band set up in between that time is about generally between fifteen to twenty minutes. And uh, Michael's like, you can get out there and just you know. Uh, the bands, yeah, right, you know, just go up there and perform. I was like, dude, you you want me to go up there and do twenty minutes <laughs> for three times? I was like, dude, that's almost a special. Yeah. He was like, well, you don't have to do the whole thing. You know, you go up there and just kind of kind of MC it a little bit. You can announce the next band and remind everybody. You know, there's hey, a merch table. Yeah, there's a merch table. You know, wear your mask. Tip your bartenders. Get you a beer. Yeah. Whatever. You know, stuff like that. But um, but I'm generally, what I'm going to do is I'm going to shoot for, you know, doing uh, five minutes. So I, I really have to come up with 15 minutes of material total, which I, I have. Um, I'm going to use what I've used before because I just want to, I don't think uh, when I did my open mic, I, I think I had good material. Because I, people were still laughing, people were laughing at it. Just I got little, laughs. It bit just of delivery. Yeah, it's uh, my my performance is needed to work on. You know, working on my performance and uh, my delivery a little bit because I was kind of rushing myself because I forgot how much. You know what I mean? Yeah, man. It was a learning experience. I mean, it was my first time. It could have gone worse. I could I could have gone up there and just completely bombed. There were some guys that got on there after I did and bombed. You know, they did their best. My I hey. The balls that you have to have to get up there, yeah. you know, I've said that, you know, anybody that's performing in front of people, if you have the balls to get up there and do it, respect. like, that's respect in itself, you know, um, yeah, absolutely, yeah. I, I can say that I did it, but, you know, it, it wasn't, it wasn't a bad experience, I, I, it was a good experience, I'm not gonna say it was a bad experience, I wish it would have gone better, but it's like, uh, but that just shows what I have to work on. Yeah. I'm that's not like, blaming. That's... I'm not blaming the crowd or anything. I, yeah. I went like, "Oh, these, you don't know what comedy is." I didn't do all that, you know. So it was a cherry popping experience. Yeah, it was. It really was. I felt I felt really good about it. I had a couple of my friends show up, and you know, they told me they said, "Yeah, you did really good." And then you know, they told me they said, "Yeah, we think you did out of the open micers. We think you did the best and all." And I'm like, "Well, you are just saying that because your friends with me," and they're like, "No, no, we generally feel that," you know. But you're you. You know, there's always going to be a sense of bias there. I mean, there was um, some of the guys that were headlining that were there that most of the laughs that they were getting was people that they were friends with, you know, you know, groups that they were with or whatever, which there's nothing wrong with that. You want to support your friends. Hell yeah. yeah. You know, absolutely. You yeah. Know? <laughs> you know, it's... But, uh, again, like I said, dude, comedy is subjective. It's, uh, it's a thing. And uh, when I got on stage, I didn't I didn't want to worry about any of that. I was just like, I just want to do my set, and I just want to make people laugh and just, you know, see how it goes. It's been a couple of months now, man. Um, yeah. It was, I, I want to say it was one of the last open mics I went and played. <laughs> um, person who went before me, man, like, um, she, she drew quite the crowd. Like, uh, it's a fairly small bar, mm-hmm. but um, the listening area was full. Mm-hmm. Well, she always draws a crowd because she's a phenomenal musician, but right, great voice. Yeah, and uh, I go on after her, and you know she just hands off the guitar. We were all just using the same guitar that night. And she said, uh, "Here," and mm-hmm. I was like, uh, "It's gonna be a tough follow." Thanks, yeah, thanks, yeah. Thanks for that. Well, and, see, uh, that's what they did with us too. They had four, um, you know, veteran, yeah, air quote veteran comedians, guys that have been doing it for a minute. Yeah, and uh, they had four of them come up and open up and perform, and then after that, um, they started doing the open micers. Yeah. And I got there first, and I signed up first, so I was the first open micer. So yeah. I had to follow yeah. these other guys. More of a bit, right? So, yeah. but you know, and I was I was nervous about that too because yeah. they they got the sign up sheet and everybody's like I don't want to go first I don't want to go first and then the bartender's like well we got four people going on first and then we're going to start over it, it, like everybody's like I don't want to go first I don't want to go first so I was like fuck it I'm just going to sign it <laughs> but um, yeah. you know I played the first song and uh, you know people start moving around a little bit uh-huh. I start my second song and dude I'm amazed it's like 9 o'clock mm-hmm. it's not that late right and I don't know where the guy come from. I don't know if he was already there. It was the first time I had noticed the guy because he was being like louder than me. Uh-huh. 
and the guitar was amped. Right. And I was mic'd. Yeah. And he was louder than me. What was he doing? He was just heckling. Like, he oh, was, yeah, he was heckling he, he was, he was not, No, he wasn't heckling me. He was just, like, having a good row of his buddy. Oh. Like, so the way that this place is set up is, like, it's separated. You have the bar, and then you walk into the other room. That's where they did the music. Mm-hmm. And his buddy was in the bar room, and he was just yelling back and forth. And I got through with the second song, and I just... I was kind of rolling my eyes, and uh, a buddy of mine just walked in there, and mm-hmm. I just kind of nodded at that guy, and I saw my buddy snatch that dude up and took him outside. <laughs> and like after that, the guy calmed down, and I was able to do the set, dude. But I was, boy, I was about to just put the guitar down. I was like, dude, I can't even do what I want to do. I can't even, yeah. I can't even hear myself from you. Yeah, I. What I'm still kind of, I'm still worried about it. I'm not gonna lie to you. Um, encountering my first heckler. You know how I would go about that, whatnot, whatever. Oh, it's comedy, man! Call him out and be an asshole to him. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. this guy thinks he's funny too. Yeah, <laughs> I don't, but I'm not going to do that. Well, you think you could do better? Get on stage, and then he winds up being better because that would be my luck. So I don't, <laughs> I don't want to be that guy. But you know, and, and also I have that because <clears throat> Michael came up with the idea, and he was like, because he, you know, and I appreciate the support of all my friends that have been you know pushing me to do this and everything but he he had the idea he was like all right well what if uh, you do intermission comedy in between bands swapping out yeah he said you get more exposure there'll be people there and i'm like in my head i'm like oh this this, this is awesome but i was like dude but i'm like dude do you think these people are going to come to a metal show and then really want to hear me get up there and talk about the history of incest in my family, you know? <laughs> I mean, it's time filler, yeah. right, though? It's better than, you know, to me, I would way rather have that, even if I wasn't necessarily a fan of comedy, than to just, like, hear uh, the mm. house speakers come on and just, you know, everything kind of go back to normal. I think it's a good break. Yeah. You got another art. Right. You know? Yeah, I just, my concern is, you know, getting up there. And I mean, if people are talking and going, you know, you know, all the smokers are going to go out. Oh, yeah. They're going to go outside, which I don't, you know, I don't blame them. But uh, just, I get up there and nobody's paying attention or listening or anything. And I'm just talking to, just noise talking. But I mean, even so, you know, whatever. Because, we'll because we'll people, or people would be like, or, you know, people would be like, oh, we, you know, this is a dumb idea. We come to a metal show and then they got some dude up here doing stand up at a metal show. Why? You yeah. know, the, you know, but you I'm, I'm going to do it. Dude, I'm going to do you it never anyway. Know you I'm going to do it. And yeah. then I, he set it up. He had the idea. They put me on the poster. I'm on the poster. They're advertising <laughs> me. I'm doing it. I'm locked in now. So, which which is awesome because I'm like, I kind of, I'm kind of worried too because uh, I, I told one of my coworkers about it and I was like, Mike, because Michael sent me the poster, sent me a picture of the poster and I was like, oh, I'm on a poster. And my coworker goes, you did one open mic and then you're already, they got you on a poster doing it again. Which, what do you think, you're Joe Rogan or something? I, was, I said, I said no, it was just his idea. I'm just going to doing it, and I'm going to be like, and it's also my friends that didn't get to see me. They get to see me do stand-up and whatnot, and, you know, and I'm going to kind of emcee the thing, too. I'm going to talk about the other bands coming up. I'm going to, you know, kind of, you know, do that. That's what I'm basically going to do just with a touch of comedy. So it's, it's going to be interesting to see how it's go. I know one thing, I'm going to drink. Uh, a good bit. <laughs> oh, yeah. Dude, take my advice on this. Yeah. It's like, like we did for the last show that we went together. It's like, yeah. get you a double shot of cheap-ass whiskey. Yeah. Or bourbon. <laughs> yeah. And get you a little splash of Coke. Yeah. And if they don't do it for you, do it one more time. Yeah, do it one more time. And after that, just coast. Uh, you know? I'm going to do a little... I'll do a little pre-drinking, too. I'm not going to go overboard with it. But, yeah, I'm definitely going to... To help me loosen up a little bit. You know, just don't do like our buddy, like... uh you know, same thing. Last show we were at together is, uh, man, I just, what was, his, what was he saying as we were standing in line trying to get a drink? He's oh, like, he said, yeah, I've been uh, pre-drinking since uh, <laughs> since 5 o'clock. I just, and, can't, I just can't seem to get drunk. Yeah. <laughs> After the show, he's laying out in downtown Mobile, passed, passed out, out on the park bench. Passed I was like, out. Hey, I don't buddy. even think, I don't even think he saw the show. I think he was out. He did. The, he did? He, okay. He was, he was, he was back there. Because I didn't see him the whole time at the show. I didn't see well, him. Well, he was friends with Zach, the guitarist. Oh, that's right. That's right. He went, because I did, I did watch him go. Going backstage, mm-hmm. 
Yeah. But yeah, yeah, I'm not gonna I'm not gonna do that. I'm yeah. Gonna, but it's uh it's gonna be fun either way. I'm gonna have a good time. I'm gonna get to see my best friend's band play. Yeah. You know, I'm gonna see these other bands that I have watched before that I do like. Um, it's, it's gonna be a different crowd, but uh, it's gonna be a bigger crowd, I'm sure. Yeah. But uh, you know, I'm gonna get up there it's and just, right. just yeah, I'm just gonna get up there and have fun. You know, I'm just gonna go up there and you know see what I can do. You know, so uh, but I gotta I, I gotta. Uh, I'm going to use basically my set that I'm going to do is uh, uh, one of them, my opener is definitely going to be the same one that I did um, the the first time I did stand up and and um, you know because I some people are like oh you don't want to do the same jokes over and over I was like well you got to work it you got to work on the material and you got to try it out with different groups and everything so and this group isn't going to be a group that's there for stand up they're going to be there to see a metal show yeah. so if I can get them going you know get their attention there you know it's still exposure so yeah i think it'll be fun i know well, i know it'll be fun so it's gonna be a good show so well we gotta talk about this let's move on into the world of film we have twilight Pattinson stepping into the to the suit into the cape and cow to the cape and cow if you will yeah and the trailer is it looks good it does. Um, I've been, you know, my coworker dude, the the guy I share an office with at work. I was, uh, I was like, have you seen the trailer for uh, Pattinson's Batman? He said, does he does he glow in the dark? <laughs> or yeah, you know, no. actually, he sparkled in the sunlight. Yeah, that's what the vampires in the stories did. They sparkled in the sunlight. Yeah, I was like, no, they don't sparkle. Yeah. I, and I said it. I said it once, and I'll say it again. Every actor that has ever played Batman has some kind of stigma attached to them, or you know, they just people want to throw up in their face. Well, you did this, you shouldn't do that, you know. Or even even other actors too. Even um, Ron Reynolds, mm-hmm. you know, with Green Lantern, and then the but I'm not even going to consider it Deadpool, but that interpretation that they did in the Wolverine uh, Origins movie. Um, every every actor has something attached to them. You know, the people said the same thing about Ben Affleck. You know, he was Daredevil, and he did Geely, and he's done all this other shit. Mm-hmm. And, um, but I think he killed it. That's just me personally. I know that's, I'm kind of in the minority about that, with that movie in general. Uh, but yeah, when I heard about it, I was like, I, I was kind of, I, there was other actors that I was hoping for, but I understand why they chose him for two reasons. One, the age. He's around that age when Bruce started to become Batman, uh, and um, and even though in this movie it's basically Bruce has been Batman for about a year, according to Matt Reeves, the director. So they're not doing the origin story. All right. So Reeves, what else has he directed? He directed the. I, I guess the most notably would be the um, the the last series of the uh, Planet of the Apes movies. So. Um, and he is himself, uh, even though you know you read articles and stuff, but him himself, like I, when I listen to him um, talk about the film and everything, uh, he is a huge Batman fan as far as the comics and you know me watching the um, me watching the uh, the trailer, I, I can see that because I see the inspiration that he's pulling from within the comics uh, in this film. And I watched the trailer probably twenty times, yeah. and I, I'm just and, and I'm also like watching it and, and pausing it and looking at certain things. And I've seen some of the leaks that's been coming out and whatnot. Mm-hmm. So, uh, oh, and he also directed the Cloverfield movies too. Oh, the POV movie. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Um, which I mean, wasn't wasn't bad if you like POVs, you know? Right. Yeah. What, it was. What do they call that? More it, documentarian or. Kind of, I guess. It has, but it has that POV, kind of like, you know, like the uh, Blair Witch and all that. But yeah. that was like a, or or if you call it like a mockumentary or something like I don't, I'm not sure exactly. Yeah, man. But like when you when you're watching films, man, we've said it here uh, time and time again. Is when you're unsure about a film, mm-hmm. especially something like that's been done over and over. Yeah. 
is look at who is directing it. Yeah. That'll give you a good idea of what's going to happen when yeah, I take. And it surprises but, you. But then again, mm-hmm. let's talk about the Joker because we haven't had a chance to talk about that yet. Yeah, yeah. Uh, you and me actually watched it together last time you were here uh-huh. after we did the last show. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, so th- this is the guy that directed The Hangover. Yep, Todd it, Phillips and Due Date. And that was uh, that caused a lot of stir amongst the internet. you know. And, and like I said, we were talking about... Um, yesterday with Justin about musicians on how they uh, they kind of change up their style and they just kind of you know change and trying to do all these different types of genres mm-hmm. uh, directors do the same thing uh, I mean like I said Todd Phillips uh, the hangover movies uh, due date so those are comedies and, uh, and then they're like oh he's doing this and this is like a serious movie like what the hell is going on with that because the first Word of mouth was Martin Scorsese was going to do it, um, but he wound up being the producer, one of the producers for it. And Martin Scorsese, if anybody knows, he directed, um, you know, most known for uh, the Taxi Driver, um, the King of Comedy, which is what they use as inspiration for the Joker movie. Mm-hmm. I mean, even I mean Robert De Niro was in the movie, mm-hmm. and he was the star of both of those Scorsese movies. Um, but but yeah, I mean, you look at directors do the same thing, and like I. We talked about also Gary Mangold, who directed Walk the Line, uh, directed Logan, you know, and he, you know, it's still, like, you wouldn't expect it. Like, you hear that and you're like, oh, this guy's doing... And killed it. And killed it, yeah. Like, Logan is probably one of my favorite superhero movies. Yeah. It is, uh, I think my favorite is probably the first Iron Man. Mm Mm-hmm. And then it would probably be Logan, and then it would be, um... Probably the Dark Knight. Yeah. Uh, I liked uh, Affleck's Batman. I liked uh, Batman v Superman. Um, mm-hmm. I really enjoyed Man of Steel too. When Zack Snyder did Man of Steel, yeah. I, I I enjoyed it. I would say that was probably the best Superman film I'd ever seen. It's it was it was really good. I mean, I love the the Chris Reeves the Christopher Reeves movies too, um, especially the first one. The second one's good too with General Zod. Um, but yeah, that that first one too, and and you see where in in that movie too with the the Man of Steel, you know Zach's vision for what he wanted, because that movie kicked off when that kicked off, it was pretty much the same way how Iron Man kicked off the Marvel MC, the, the MCU, and that's what basically what Warner Brothers and DC were trying to do with Man of Steel. Yeah. So everything like they're saying, all right, we're establishing the world, we're kicking it off with Superman, everything that comes out. You know, it's going to be minus the TV shows are going to be centered around the cinematic universe. Mm-hmm. Uh, whereas Marvel, they just everything is connected. TV shows are connected. Um, the Netflix uh, shows were connected mm-hmm. to the movies. It's all part of the same cohesive universe. Um, but yeah, man, it's still I I, re- I enjoyed it more than I thought I was going to honestly. Yeah. But but I tell you, um, and I got a lot of shit for this too. But Zack Snyder, I, when I heard he was going to be when 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 I heard he was going to direct it, I, I was excited because I I saw the Watchmen movie, and that movie and like a lot of people, Watchmen is one of those stories too. It's kind of split between like you either love it or you hate it. Mm-hmm. You know, is kind of one of those things, and that's with the graphic novel, and that's with the movie also. Uh, I love the graphic novel. I own it. You know, I've read it several times. It's. I mean, I love Alan Moore's work. Um, but then I, you know, after reading the graphic novel and then watching the movie, you know, you you see where how how much he tried to stay true to the source material, and you know, I mean, the way he even shot, he can visually. I will say this: Zack Snyder can visually paint a picture and film. Like his mind's eye is fantastic. The way he shoots everything, uh, he he does have a little trouble carrying on the story. But Watchmen was, I mean, he he tr- stayed so close to the source material the best he could, and I think he did fantastic because it's almost the way the movies is. It's almost sh- panel for panel in the comic book. Yeah, I didn't know that. Yeah, it's um, if you watch a side by side, you know of you know the frames of each shot in the movie it's almost the same as the comic book and uh and so when i heard that he was going to be involved in 
you know, that was pretty much the movie that they were like, okay, we, we want to get Warner Brothers like, all right, we want to kick off our, you know, Justice League universe. We want to do, you know, our cinematic universe. And that's why they like gave that su- Superman to him. And, uh, and I was like, all right. But I still had my concerns, too. I mean, every comic book fan does. But I what I try to do is when I go into these movies... There's some people that just, they're like purists or whatever, and they're like, oh, it's got to be like this, it's got to be like this, and they don't want change, um, which I get that, but you got to remember, too, these, one, they have to make this hour and a half, two hour movie about the story. Mm-hmm. Things are going to get taken out, obviously. But also, you got to remember, these are characters that have been around since Superman came out in 1938. Yeah. I mean, there's been several interpretations throughout the years. Yeah, I mean, you're. That's mm-hmm. 88 years old, man. Yeah, and I mean, like, these, uh, you know, and these directors, when they do these movies, they do their own interpretation of it. So there's going to be things that are going to be changed, obviously. And that's like almost any movie that's based off of a, a novel or a comic book or anything. Oh, yeah. I mean, I mean, I'm a Lord of the Rings fan. And right. Do I like the Peter Jackson movies? Yes. Yeah. Uh, Same thing or, with the Harry Potter movies. Were some of my favorite scenes in the books in the movie? No. Mm-hmm. Was I disappointed? I don't know, cause it, you know, it's it's kind of like taking filler filler out of like anime filler episodes, and you just want to concentrate on the um, on the plot, on the main plot of the story. Yeah. It, again, you know, that's. I mean, Peter Jackson made a three-hour movie on it, but still, there was no way he could capture everything in there. Mm-hmm. You know, so destroyed the Hobbit though. I hated that. Really? Hated it. Like. <laughs> Uh, the uh, the elven dwarf love affair. Yeah. Well, see, she didn't even exist in the book. Well, that too. Legolas wasn't even mentioned either. Yeah. And so, but I mean, as far as the pace mm-hmm. of the story, uh, there's this old cartoon that was made in the 80s, The Hobbit. I don't know if you've oh, seen yeah. that. Yeah. That was, that was dope. My grandma showed me that movie when I was a kid, and that's what made me like fall in love with the mid- mm-hmm. Middle Earth. I remember, I remember watching those. They were coming, I think they were, they were on Cartoon Network because uh, the movies, the hype for the movies was coming out, so they were releasing all of that. And I didn't mind, like, you know, because every dwarf in The Hobbit, man, they, they all look like a bunch of freaks with, like, the different stylings of their beards. Right, right. Like, Makes uh, something to make them stand out. Yeah. Yeah. And so, you know, you had Radagast, uh, he had a bird living under his uh, <laughs> hat, and it was crapping, and I was yeah. like... You're trying to. You're kind of working like the kid element because the Hobbit's. A, it was a children's book, right? But um, I don't know. There was just so much there that I was like, man, yeah, this is kind of much. Yeah, I've uh, I've often often kind of wondered what it would have been like if he would have done the Hobbit first for Lord of the Rings. <laughs> it would have been it would have been interesting to see just the the time differences. Which I mean, I'm glad he. You know, glad he did. He put basically pulled a Lucas. You know, did a uh, four, five, and six, and then did one, two, and three. But he he said he did that because he knew he didn't to do one, two, and three. He wouldn't have the technology to do everything that he wanted to do. You know, yeah. Which you know makes sense. Yeah. But uh, but yeah, but going back to to Pattinson as Batman though, I, I did have my concerns because. Um, like I said, I had other actors in mind or, you know, were thinking and and there was rumors floating around and everything about that. But uh after seeing that trailer, I uh I'm 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 really excited about it. Yeah. I'm excited I'm excited to see what they're gonna do. You know, from everything that I've heard and read about, if it's true, I think we're in a hell for in in we're gonna get a good Batman movie. Yeah. I and think so, so the main villain for this one's gonna be Penguin? Uh, it right now what's established is uh there's several villains that are going to be in it, which is kind of is kind of making me concerned about them doing this, how they're gonna, how it's all gonna fit, but it's also making me excited too because a lot of that with the characters that they have in there and the direction that they're going from what I read, um, they're it's inspiration from the uh, the, the uh, storyline of um, the Long Halloween. Which is awesome. If you have not read that comic, it's awesome. So, and it's uh, the same villains. It's the majority of them. It's the same villains that are in it, and it is a very, um, 
It's it's a it's a like a mystery. It's a detective series. It's you know Batman's the world's greatest detective. So Matt Reeves said doing this movie, he said I want to take it back to Batman being the detective. He is the world's greatest detective, and we haven't seen that a lot in the other films. No, you haven't, you know. Like yeah. I would say, like Nolan's Batman, you know, um, it had a totally different focus. And right. Like, like we've talked about, man, it took the the fantasy out of it. Right. It but also that realism. see see that to me too is it took away a little bit from what the character is known for. Batman is the world's greatest yeah. detective. And you didn't Razal Ghul, Razal Ghul, that's what he called him. He called him detective. That's all he called him. Yeah. He that's all he called him was detective and Talia called him beloved. That's, you know, but um but we didn't see a whole lot of that. Um uh, you know, there was some people argue, well, he took the bullet out of the wall, and I was like, well, yeah, he, but there's, like, he he should have figured out the the uh, the uh, the compound, like the, uh, the the scarecrow toxin. He should have figured that out, mm-hmm. not Lucius. Yeah, I'm not taking any way of anything away from Lucius Fox, and I do love that they put him in those movies because that was the first time we get to see Lucius Fox in the movies, which was awesome. Um, but for example, um, even going back all the way to the first Tim Burton Batman movie, uh, Batman figures out Joker's toxin that he put into all the the healthcare products and everything, the beauty products in Gotham, and Batman figured it out. He had a lab, and he, I mean, he had a, his chemistry table and everything. And he figured it out himself, and then he released it to the press. You know, uh, we we did. We did see a little bit of that, but as far as like him, like in the trailer for the Matt Reeves movie, Batman shows up for a crime scene. He shows up in the crime scene with Gordon, mm-hmm. and you know, and he's like, "Does any of this mean anything to you?" And you know, so getting to see that happen, getting to see um, this version of the Penguin, which Colin Farrell is, I I I don't know how much of that is his his part, like gaining weight for the role or. The, the, the makeup department or... or the makeup department just doing prosthetics but I I had no idea that was him and I was <laughs> and I was like holy crap it's like, crazy where we are now with like yeah. makeup and stuff you know yeah yeah I'm I'm I like I like to see more practical effects that's just me and this movie looks like there's gonna be a lot of practical like yeah. not a whole lot of CGI and everything yeah. so I'm you know, I'm, I'm if you do that, too. like I would like to make this a rule. I know they won't ever do it, but I, if we're gonna have like these big CGI fights and CGI scenes, let's do them the way Deadpool two did it. Make fun of it. Here comes your big CGI fight. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, they threw that in there because he breaks the the fourth wall. Yeah, yeah. You know, but still, yeah. that's that's a point point yeah. that they're making on that was yeah. uh you know that or or you look at the the last couple of. Uh, the X-Men movies that were coming out too they do a lot of wire work too and um which I got none against wire work I love Hong Kong cinema and they are notorious they invented wire work you know wire fights and stuff but uh seems like they kind of got a little too carried away what the with hell it. is that what wire work wire working or yeah it's um it, like I said uh you see it like in uh, for example like Crouching Tiger Hidden Dragon okay they're yeah kind of, they're flying around or you see them doing these kicks and these impossible jumps that's that's all wire work they're connected to a harness and, and there's, there's a crew sh- yeah yeah I mean they I mean they do it in stunts too like um you know uh anytime somebody gets thrown or something like that I mean it's or explosion and people go flying it's wire work now mm-hmm. uh or also back in the day too they also had uh like catapults um to where they they step on them and it was like a spring spring air like a catapult spring it was air compressed, um, you know you see them in the you see some of them in the Star Wars movies too the prequels, especially Darth Maul uh, like he does his great backflips and the force jumps and all that he's on a catapult and stuff you know, um, but yeah but wire work is notorious in Hong Kong cinema you know, for the, the flying and or the, the massive jumps and stuff that they do and the fight scenes and whatnot, jumping from building to building and stuff like that. But um I, I like I like practical effects too and like especially when it comes to like makeup artists because those guys are I mean, the the talent that goes into that and everything looks fantastic. I'm telling you, man, and I'm uh you know, I've always been impressed with like Teresa's work. 
think she does real good makeup. Oh, yeah. And uh, there's a couple of chicks uh, back up around where I'm staying now mm -hmm. that uh, I've used in the past for Halloween. And yeah. Like, uh, I did a clown one year, and I was incredibly impressed with, like, the work. Oh, yeah. And uh, the makeup for that, because yeah. it was legit. And I was like, yeah. it took, like, three hours, but mm -hmm. it was worth it. I met a. I got one friend of mine that I met at a convention uh, several years ago. Um, that's that's what he does. That's he's been doing it for a long time, doing special effects. And I mean, he does everything from um, from sculpting the molds and creating the molds and you know everything. Mm -hmm. he, and he teaches classes on that. He lives in Pensacola, and. Uh, I mean, it's just fantastic. And, like, he'll go to conventions to advertise his special effects shop, and he has, you know, models or students of his will dress up in his work and cosplay and whatever, you know, he made. And it looks amazing. Yeah. It's just the amount of detail that they go into doing that and making it, and, you know, it looks fantastic. Uh, there was a TV show that was on Sci-Fi for a while that I really enjoyed watching. It was called Face Off. Uh, it was kind of like a, it was a competitive show, you know, like one of those like last, you know, like kind of like those cooking shows or whatever. They had this group of people, mm -hmm. and then they uh, they do these challenges, and then they the judges vote on what what they like best, and then there's eliminations and stuff. But what it was with these guys is they were special effects artists, and they had to. But what they had to do is they had to, each week they had a challenge. They had a, they were get inspired by something, and they had to create their uh, their original character, and then they have to go and they have to create it and everything. So it was it was really interesting to see, you know, how practical effects use like that because majority of now in any big big budget film is CGI work. Yeah, I mean that stuff is impressive too. Don't get me wrong, but I don't know. I've always been kind of a big fan of more practical effects. Yeah. You know, it, it obviously there's more realism to it to me. Yeah, yeah. Brother, anything else to anything else you want to talk about for me? Mm -hmm. We're uh, right at an hour. Mm -hmm. That's about it. Cool. Okay. Yeah. Cool. Well, man, uh, anything else to add or subtract before we go? Uh, stay funny, my friends. Yeah, and just—I mean—do you have the dates for uh, the metal show? Oh yeah, October seventeenth. At uh, the Alabama Music Box in Mobile, Alabama. Um, it's going to be... Uh, I'll announce the bands, uh, just so if anybody's familiar with them. Leave knives out, they suck. <laughs> Bunch of posers. Uh, it is uh, going to be... Uh, it's hosted by Knives, which is my buddy's band. <laughs> hey, they they he they got me a spot doing stand up. So I just uh, if Michael was to listen, I'm just saying. <laughs> they uh, but but Knives. Their drummer is horrible. <laughs> He's a good guy. <laughs> he uh, when he's sleeping, maybe. <laughs> but the the bands that are going to be playing are going to be um, Son of a Gun, Worthy of the Crown, Knives, and Under Giants. Um, also featuring Intermission Comedy by Johnny Havard, myself. And uh, it's uh, October 17th. Uh, doors open up at 6 p.m. at the Alabama Music Box in Mobile, Alabama. Um, yeah, if anybody's in the area and wants to come and hang out, you know. Um, I, don't have a, I don't have a page started yet for my stand-up because I've only done one open mic and I don't get ahead of myself. <laughs> but uh, I will have a page set up soon, so whenever that is, I'll shoot that information to you. Maybe Facebook won't do comedy the way they're doing music. I don't know. Oh, uh, so you there? You said there was... There uh, yeah, one. October 1st yeah. is like... If you, if you share music, uh, they'll take it down, delete it, and possibly delete your page. Wow. I was like... If you share music, yeah, even if you have permission from the artist, yeah, I don't care. Well, if they're gonna do that, they need to do that for all art forms. Mm -hmm. But I mean, I set my own page up as far as doing stand up. I mean, it's it's gonna be my stuff. Yeah, you know that and just stupid memes. 
you know, it's whatever I want. Yeah, my thing is, is like, man, ninety percent of my Facebook is music anyway. Like, if you was to open up my phone and just open yeah, up I mean, phone. you're always posting new music, yeah. and I'm just like, you're the guy. You're basically, if I want to listen to something new, I'll like check something out. Yeah. Like you told me about several, even several bands here in Mobile that where I live that I didn't even know were around, yeah. and then gone to shows with you, and I'm like, oh shit, these guys have been here this whole time, mm-hmm. you know. But uh, so now yeah. I'm just gonna have to take it all on the website. And yeah. by the way, folks, uh, Johnny, he's got a he's got a sp- uh, little space on the website, and as he gets going more, uh, you'll be seeing a little bit more of his. As we get more footage, we'll throw up some videos so you can check him yeah. out at the website. Uh, yeah, and uh, like I said, I'm also going to put up um, a YouTube channel too, just uh, to where I can get content and uh, just more clips of me performing and whatnot. So, but uh, yeah, dude, uh, when I do, when I get all that set up, I'll definitely let you know. So, cool. and I appreciate and I appreciate you putting me out there too. It means a it means a lot. Yeah, man. Let's get out of here. Later. News and notes. Thank you so much for listening to the show. Follow us on social media. We are on Instagram and Facebook. Just look for the logo. You'll find us there, and you can see photos and little video shots of uh, episodes gone by and even what's to come. We also have a website, www.porch-talk.net. And my buddy Michael's band, Knives, um, they don't suck, but I got to give Michael a hard time. The song that you heard at the beginning of this episode was Man Downtown by Taylor Hollinsworth. That's on his latest album, Country Visions. I highly recommend that you check that album out. It's it's a good one. We're going to close out this episode with Nick Shoulders. Rather low. Peace out, guys. Well, my eyes adjust, my joints are rusty, sheets are awful cold and dusty, rover folks, it must have been a
This is the story of the one. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.